This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. There are three main factors that determine the success of your ABM programs. Number one, accurate target account lists with verified contact data. Number two, keeping your CRM data actionable with reliable enrichment. And number three, going beyond serving ads with automated outbound emails. Apollo offers an all-in-one solution for these needs. Easily discover target accounts with over 65 filters, including technographics, buyer intent, and job titles. Automatically validate and enrich contact data, streamline outreach, and boost campaign effectiveness with just a few clicks. They're ranked number one for contact and company data accuracy on G2. And with over 6,000 reviews and a 4.8 star rating, it makes sense why they're one of the most loved products out there right now. You can sign up for free with no credit card entry required. That's free for real free. No credit card even required at Apollo.io slash exit five. That's A-P-O-L-L-O dot I-O slash exit five. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by my friends at Metadata. Yes, they're my friends. I'm working with them right now. Hey, Metadata, what's up? Metadata helps demand gen marketers automate paid campaigns and drive more revenue. If you work in demand gen, you know how running paid campaigns can create so many technical, mundane, and repetitive tasks. You got 17 tabs open in your browser, more like 170. You're jumping from LinkedIn to Google to Facebook. Plus, there's all the audience creation, creative, and testing variations. It can be an entire job just to keep track of this stuff and make sure it all is running properly. And with humans doing it, there's bound to be a lot of wasted time and potential for mistakes and missed opportunities. Through AI and automation, metadata frees you from having to manually do these tasks so you can spend your time on the work that matters most, strategy, creativity, and the experimentation. Demand gen teams use metadata to execute hundreds of campaigns without ever logging into ad managers, automatically monitoring their campaigns and optimizing for pipeline and revenue, and drastically scaling their performance before needing to hire more people or hire an agency. In the last two years, Metadata has automated 92,000 campaigns and influenced over $2 billion in pipeline for customers like Zoom, Ramp, Pendo, and ThoughtSpot. ThoughtSpot generated $5 million in pipeline in their first few months at a 1 to 6 spend to pipeline ratio. There's a stat right there. Write that one down. That's a stat that will get you promoted. If you're a demand gen marketer and you're running paid campaigns today, you really should consider using metadata. You can learn more about how the metadata team can help you do humanly impossible marketing at metadata.io. That's metadata.io. And make sure you tell them that you heard about them right here on the Exit 5 podcast. One, two, three, four. Exit 5. My guest on this episode is Deidre Hudson. She's CMO of Payability. Deidre, thank you for coming on. For people that might not know you or your background or Payability, can you just give us a quick overview of what's the brief rundown of your career? How'd you get to this point? And uh, what does Payability do? Awesome. Thanks, Dave. I just want to say I'm so glad to be here talking with you. I'm a huge fan. I've been following you since the drift days. So <laughs> I'm in the company of a celebrity right now. Get so out. Really... I always wish my face is not on camera. It's so embarrassing. I appreciate that. It makes me embarrassed, but it is one cool example of like why I care about the the brand and marketing stuff is because like I've seen how like in the early days of Drift, that connection created this connection. You know, here here we are like years later. It, it is 
is one of the cool things. Okay, cool. I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> Absolutely. No, but it's marketers talking about marketing. I could talk about marketing all day. So always glad to have a fellow person that's in that same, same trenches. So, okay, so take me to um, first, like, what does your company do? And then your role and kind of how you got to that point briefly. Right. So my company is Payability and we basically, we offer funding for e-commerce sellers. So you're selling on Amazon, you're selling on Shopify, you're selling on Walmart. You need additional money to pay for your inventory, to pay for marketing. With Amazon, there's about a two week wait that you have to you know wait until you get your payouts based on your sales. So we provide that funding to you so that you can get access to your funds and to your, your working capital faster. And you're the CMO there. Yes. What does that mean in the payability context? What's the CMO do? I'm defining it day by day. <laughs> We're figuring it out as we go along. <laughs> in true, true startup fashion. Yes. Right. Right. But uh, I mean, I was folding t-shirts yesterday and, you know, today I'm, you know, talking to Dave about payability. So, um, but awesome. basically what the role is and what I love about the role, and that's part of what I love about the role is that it does change and it's not just a static everyday thing. But basically what we are in charge of is we're in charge of, you know, top of funnel, lead acquisition, drawing qualified leads into the funnel to turn over to our sales team for conversion and the brand. And the brand is something that, you know, I'm really excited about that we're going to be putting a bit more focus on this year. So, you know, just looking at that in totality, it's presenting the face of payability to the market. What mm. does that initial encounter look like? What does that initial exposure and engagement look like? What's like the go-to-market model? Like how do people find your product and sign up for it and buy it? We look at kind of a paid and an organic, right? So we have our paid go-to-market model where we are using channels like paid media, we're using uh, direct mail, we're doing events. And then we also have our organic channel where we have a, a robust newsletter audience and we generate leads from, from there. We generate leads from customer referrals. And then we also have a partnership channel that we're building out, which is, I guess you could think of it as kind of like a hybrid, right? Because there is some payment involved, but there's also some you know word of mouth and referrals involved in that as well. So that's our top of funnel go-to-market strategy. Marketing's function, again, is to bring those qualified leads in the door for our sales team to then convert. So people that listen to this podcast, they just love to like, nerd out on how other companies are thinking about and doing marketing. So I love, I love getting this um, perspective. And then you have all those different channels. What are they all driving towards? Like, what is it get a demo? Is it talk to sales? Is it like, what's the call to action that everybody's being driven toward before the handoff to sales? The ultimate call to action is for a customer to connect their store to us through an API connection. And we kind of step into that, right? So we step into that through the creation of an account. And then hopefully that next step is that, you know, they provided information about their store and they connect their API. Is and it like in the Shopify app store? Is it like, a, like an app in like the app store? Somebody goes for free and they download it and connect it to their store? Well, mainly it's through Amazon. So they can connect awesome. their store to an API connection through uh, Amazon. And then we can, you know, we, we can basically look at their sales history and look at their sales. And that's because we don't do credit checks. We really look at the health of their e-commerce business in order to determine, you know, how we can help them from a funding perspective. Got it. Okay. So, so people come in and they connect their account and then 
that's the point that someone is going to reach out from the sales team. Right. Someone will reach out. So if someone can has connect started an account but hasn't connected their API, they'll get a reach out from our BDR team. Once that API is connected, then we turn them over to our sales team and then they complete the sales process. We have about three different products that we offer, three different funding options. And what our sales team is here to do really is to help guide people towards the right funding option for them. How do you think that um, approach changes like how you how you do marketing and help feed the sales team? That's a great question. I think that changes because it's not a one, like a one step conversion, right? You do need to go through a couple of different steps in order to become a customer. So when we are looking at, you know, our marketing activities and we're looking at diagnosing the funnel and looking at optimizing that customer journey, we're doing it with an eye to how do we optimize each step to get the person to the next step? And what do they need to get to that next step? So that really affects our approach because we're not thinking about, okay, once they sign, complete an app, that's it. We need them to do a few more steps. In order to become right. No, it's interesting to hear you say that because I'm one company that I'm working with. I feel like sometimes the marketing, and I've done this myself, like I've been in this, I've, I've messed this up, but I feel like sometimes you just kind of like, it's easy just to like do marketing and you're just like, we're doing all these things, but like yes. you have to actually map out like, cause, cause there's an infinite amount of possibilities. Someone could go from not knowing you to talking to your sales team, yes. but I feel like you have to have what you have mapped out It's like, hold on first, what is the customer journey? What are the steps we want them to take? And then what are, what actions are we going to do? So like, I don't think you can like make marketing a checklist and a perfect formula, but I feel like you have to build a marketing strategy around some like hypothesis of like, this is the funnel that we're trying to drive. Then you can go decide what channels to put on top of that. I love so much that you said that because checkbox marketing is something that I have a visceral reaction against. <laughs> and I'm really about the holistic planning of it, right? So we're not just sending an email because we want to send an email. What part does that email play in the entire strategy? What do we want people to do? And how are we recognizing the difference and how an email is perceived as a different tool than say yeah. a paid media ad? You know, the, an email is very transactional. Someone expects to get something right away for those three to five seconds they interact with your email versus on social media, they want you to teach them something. They want to come away having learned something new. So understanding those channels, understanding how those how customers are perceiving those channels and how they all fit into your holistic strategy, I think is super important. I'm the person who made this stuff happen, but now I have a little bit of years and so I can see what the mistakes that I made. But the amount of times that it's so easy for the marketing team to just get in this rhythm of just like, we're just doing stuff. Like we, we send out an email every Tuesday and Thursday because we yep. just kind of always send out an email Tuesday and Thursday. And then, you know, one, one thing that I see at a bunch of different companies is like, it's not that nobody's ever busy. The marketing team is always busy, but the problem is sometimes everyone's really busy and you're not making progress towards your goals. And that's like the most dangerous combination because you're just kind of doing stuff like, well, I don't know, we always write blog articles. So that we wrote five articles this week. Well, but for what? Why? Right? Exactly. Thank you. And my previous role, my mantra became, what's the goal? Right? I would always ask, what's the goal? Why are we doing this? What's the goal? What's the goal? What's the goal? And I started <laughs> to love when I heard people repeat that back to me and they'd ask me, what's the goal? And I'm like, yes, it worked. <laughs> Wait, can I tell you a quick story about that, by the way? Like yes. that's that's one of those things that like as non-marketing leader, Dave, hated when my boss asked me that. What's the goal? 
But I don't know. You tell me, like, I, I know what the goal is. Don't you worry. It, but it's like <laughs> now that as a marketing leader, like that's like, it becomes the only thing you're going to ask. What's the goal? What's the goal? What's the goal? But right. you understand why, because why? if you don't have that thing, everything is off. Exactly. And we're going to take it even one step further because now we're going to ask, why does a customer care? Right. And we're going to go through those seven, nine whys. Why do they care? Well, because they want this. Why do they want this? Well, because they want that. Why do they want that? So it really is about just distilling things down to the essence of what are we trying to achieve? And is this the right tactic? Is this the right strategy? And you're going to have to answer those questions. You have to answer them before you start your marketing campaign or after you finish it and you don't get the results you want, right? So you're going to have to answer those questions. It's better to answer them on the front end than the back end, right? Measure twice and cut once. This is great. I already am going to clip out all of this. <laughs> um, but you, you mentioned something that seems so obvious, but I don't think we ask it enough with every channel, with everything, which is you said, why, why does the customer care? And so it's this simple discipline of like reinforcing, like, what's the goal of this? And oftentimes, even when you ask, what's the goal, that just leads you to your next discovery. Like, oh, wow, we don't have a goal. So maybe we need to pause before we go do this and have a discussion about this. But you mentioned, why does the customer care? And I think that's the one that like in both levels, the macro, what are we doing this quarter and why? Why is somebody going to care about that? I just think we, we, it's easy to get in that, like just set it and forget it mode. You mentioned a BDR team. Does BDR team report to you or is there a salesperson that BDR report team? How, how does it work within your company? Our Bbdrs have been shuffled around like orphans. I'm sad to admit, but <laughs> they are now currently, <laughs> always <laughs> they're currently in their their needed and respected home with sales. was that not always the case? Is it better better now? Did you make the change for a reason? First arrived at payability, uh, but well, before I arrived, the BDRs were reporting, I believe they were reporting into our head of partnerships who reported to our then CMO. And then when our CMO left and we kind of split it and the partnership started reporting into the CEO with the BDRs reporting to the partnerships. But then the partnerships left <laughs> and I inherited the BDRs. Yeah. And, you know, it's great. And I, I look at it this way, right? You can look at BDRs as either the last mile of marketing or the first mile of sales, right? So in that case, we chose to look at it as the last mile of marketing. But I do believe that BDRs, they thrive better being managed in a sales type environment. They're going to be, you know, much more driven by goals and, and um, motivations that align more with the sales methodology than with the marketing methodology. Love that line. The last mile in marketing or the first mile in sales. I love that. Cause it's like, maybe it could be managed by different teams, which when you zoom out and you don't take the team, you just think of like, what's the business function? Well, it's either the last mile of marketing or it's the first marketing of sales. Who should, or the first mile of sales, who should own that? And by the way, your, your answer there, I wanted to pause on that for a second because um, obviously like we put a lot of things out in the world on LinkedIn and talk about marketing and give marketing advice. But like your example is so real of what life is actually like as a marketing leader. It's like, <laughs> you know, on LinkedIn, it's like BDR, should they report to this? And then like what actually happens is like, other CMO is there, you come in, new CMO, they report to this team. It's not really perfect. They go to this team. You can't, you know, it's never like this perfect thing. So like all business advice should be taken with a, with a grain of salt because like the reality is you, you often come in with so much debt that you're just kind of stuck with. Exactly. What metrics do you report on? 
What's in your scorecard? That's interesting because, I mean, we do typical marketing related metrics that's around costs, right? So it's it's cost per uh, CPAs for our sales qualified leads. It's CPAs for one deals. It's CPAs for different milestones within that journey. But what I'm really trying to shift us towards this year is focusing more on revenue. Right now, we are a, a marketing-driven organization in terms of where our leads are coming from. So we do need to be very pay very close attention to costs. But we also need to understand what is the revenue component behind that, right? So I can pay $3,000 to acquire a lead, but if that lead is only worth, you know, $2,000, then was it worth it, right? And if we don't have that revenue component in our metrics, then it's hard to make those kinds of decisions. So we're trying to get our data to the point where we can incorporate, you know, the cost side of our marketing activities with the revenue generating side. So that's what I'm really hoping to focus us on in the coming year. How do you go and tackle that? Is it like a data thing that you're trying to uncover behind the scenes? I think for us, it is a data thing behind the scenes and it's kind of an integration thing because, you know, we can we can go to finance and kind of compile the reports and go to underwriting and compile reports and then kind of put it together. But that data becomes obsolete almost as soon as you've done compiling it. Right. So for us, it's trying to get all that data into one place so we can really do meaningful self-serve data and analytics that incorporates not just costs, but revenue. Where this focus on revenue come from, from your end? I'm going to plug something else here. It's uh, <laughs> I read this awesome book called The Next CMO. <laughs> it's a great and, book, right? Oh, yeah. I'm sure it's in your library. I remember reading it like, I don't know, a year or two ago. And I was just I was just blown away because you know how there's, there's things in your head that you think, okay, something's not right with this or I think I should be doing this differently, but I'm not quite sure how. And that book just kind of put it all together for me. And I had this copy of it. It's like it's dog-eared and it's got colored tabs on it. And after, you know, I was promoted to CMO, I posted a picture of the book on LinkedIn and I said, I guess it worked. So <laughs> that's amazing. That is an amazing book. And I love that book because of why you mentioned it. It's like no fluff in that book. It's literally like playbooks. Like, hey, you want, here's how to run campaigns. Here's how to measure this thing. So, so you literally took this book and just said, I'm going to apply these things to, to what we're doing in marketing. I did. I took that book and I used it in a couple of ways. Number one, I, I agree with you in the title and the subtitle of an operational, operational excellency, something about that. But it wasn't about the next CMO because you're able to build a great brand or the next CMO because you are a great, you know, demand gen person. It was like the next CMO has operational chops, right? So I really liked it for that reason. So yeah, and I took it in a couple of ways. I um, I literally inhaled it. <laughs> if you can imagine that. It's like, I just wanted to sniff all the things and just absorb it into my brain. <laughs> So it would just become like this other layer inside my head. So I literally sniffed it and inhaled it. So that, that's one way I used it. Amazing. <laughs> the other way I used it was as a playbook. And, you know, especially um, in my previous phone, as we were making some changes and I literally use it as a playbook and say, this is how we need to approach this from this particular standpoint. And by the way, how about like the meta of this? What Dieter's talking about is a is a marketing asset created by Plana. <laughs> like it, this is marketing done, right? Like how do you create raving fans about your stuff? It's like, well, 
Peter and the team, they created, they didn't just make an ebook or a PDF. They wrote an unbelievable 150 page like marketing playbook and give that out to potential customers. And now to have somebody like yourself, a CMO on this podcast, raving about the book, that's like the ultimate meta lesson. So shout out to Peter. Yeah. Great. How do you articulate the shift from like, you're not just a marketer, you're an operator who's running marketing? Like what's changed in your thinking? Well, for one thing, it kind of solidified some things that I had had thought because previously I had focused on, I was in the demand gen world and I had formulated this methodology as I went throughout different roles that demand gen was not a silver bullet, but it was actually a structure that you build and it's a foundation that you build. And I envisioned those that foundation being based on four pillars. And those pillars were people, performance, process, and programs. So I'd always kind of refer to process as the unsung hero of good demand gen. And because I saw it time and time again, where, you know, you could be in a company, for example, I get this example of a company that's like very mature in programs, but very immature in process. And an example. You're listening to my dad's XFI podcast. Hey, it's Dave real quick. Are you hiring marketers or looking for your next marketing job? We just launched the Exit 5 job board, and you can check it out right now. It's jobs.exit5.com. We're building the number one resource online for you if you're looking for your next marketing gig, or if you're an employer and you want to reach talented marketers in our network, you can do so right through the Exit 5 job board. Go and check out the jobs over there right now. You can browse if you're looking or if you're an employer, go post a job and find your next great teammate. That's the power of a niche like B2B marketing. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're building here at Exit 5. Go check it out. It's the Exit 5 job board, jobs.exit5.com. Of that is a use case is that you're cranking out a lot of stuff. You got a lot of stuff going on. But you go to the event and you come back and the leads sit in Salesforce for two weeks, but you don't have a process of getting them from point A to point B. So I became very enamored with, you know, this idea of process. And plus, I, I just love the underdog anyway. So that's just my my pet thing. <laughs> also, for people listening, like to, to hear you say, like, as not even as the CMO, as the demand gen leader, you were thinking about your function with those four P things, right? And it's like... That's how you start to think like an executive. You're not just like demand gen equals AdWords channel. It's like, well, no, CEO, there's four layers of demand gen. There's, what did you say? People, process, programs, and performance. So you're not just trying to have a discussion about like the conversion rate of your ads. You're like, well, the reason that we're not hitting these goals, revenue goals, is because we don't have the right people or we don't have the right process. And then, so so like, it makes no sense that you're you're eventually going to become CMO from that. I also think like, to be a great CMO today, or even a good CMO today, you you have to be the person that you're you're talking about. This is why I am not a CMO <laughs> for the record because <laughs> I'm really good at like the creative stuff, though. Come up with marketing <laughs> ideas stuff, but like to be a professional CMO like Deidre is, like you have to think about marketing with those four layers. It's not just the creative; it is the people, it is the process, it is the goal setting, it is the planning, like that's what the role of CMO is. And so like, it's not the, like, you just come up with the craziest, you know, your job is not, you walk into work, come up with a, a fire marketing idea and your, your day is over and you go home. It's like, no, it's, it's people, it's process, it's budgets, it's managing up. It's, the, it's, it's much more of this operator job, right? 
Absolutely. It's it's definitely all those things. And don't get me wrong. I definitely get turned on by the, you know, the the crazy, sexy idea. Yeah. But I get more turned on by the idea of how do we look at this holistically? Like, OK, this is the, the great creative idea. But what was the data that brought us to the fact that we needed that idea? And how are we going to make this? You know, what's the process we're going to use to implement this idea and how are we are going to measure the performance of this idea? So that totality and holistic part turns me on even more. I don't know about not myself, but, you know, teach to <laughs> teach their own. <laughs> We're all different in this world. <laughs> I have a feeling that you might have a, a kind of methodical approach to to planning and like running campaigns just based on what I, I know about you. Can you give me your framework for like, how do you how do you do marketing planning? What's kind of like the cadence for for you, for your, you and your team running marketing month to month, quarter to quarter? Yeah, ideally it is. We start with, you know, what is it that we're trying to achieve this year? And here we're we're not there yet. We need to bring on more people. We need to bring on more ways of measuring performance. So we're not there yet. But ideally, we're starting from the goal. Like, what are we trying to achieve and why are we trying to achieve that? And then we're looking at data. Okay, what does the data show us already? And then I just I just get ideas from data. And I, I try to encourage people to use data as a stepping stone for a launching pad for ideas also. And then that leads into, you know, we do... We have uh, our weekly marketing meetings and we're talking about operational things from like a project perspective. And then we start spitballing and brainstorming. And then, you know, we kind of bring it all back to, you know, concrete next steps. And then, you know, part of that also is that we're talking about, okay, how are we going to measure this? And what do we need from our, you know, our data in order to be able to do this? So ideally, that is the framework. Like I said, we're not quite there yet we're yeah. working towards that but i are you running like you know each month we're doing some launch like you know right now you're in the middle of x time frame like how do you figure out what's going on when well we have some just some long-standing uh things that we're running so we know that we're running paid media right so that's kind of one of our staples we know that we're running direct mail that's one of our staples we look into those staples for how can we make them better how can we optimize them how can we make them perform even better and then we look for what other things can we add on but it's not just to add on other things just for the sake of adding on new outlets it's how else can we get there so basically what we're trying to do this year what my mantra one of my mantras for this year is i want to be everywhere our sellers are so we look at, we're looking at things called micro ecosystems and these micro ecosystems are basically you know what does our seller's journey look like and what are these different ecosystems that they're going to encounter along their journey and we need to be in every one of those ecosystems we may have a different place and a different presence but we need to be in every one of those ecosystems so taking a step back and looking at it from that perspective, it's like, okay, then how do we get into those ecosystems? What do we need to do to get there? What kind of presence should we have? What do you mean by ecosystems? Like communities, podcasts? It's all that. So if you think about someone that is selling on Amazon and just think about that journey, right? So one day one person decided, I'm going to think I'm going to sell on Amazon. Okay. What do I do to do that? There's research, there's, you know, gathering information. That's an ecosystem, right? And right. then it's like, a, it. yeah. And then you well, may there's like, I've seen someone like, there's just someone on Instagram who has like a hundred thousand followers talking about, you know, how to become an Amazon seller or something like that would be an influencer that you might, you know, try to do content with or something in your space. Right. And okay. depending upon what they're talking about, they're part of, you know, one of those ecosystems. Yeah. yeah. No, ecosystems is a, is a, is a cool way to think about it. You mentioned direct mail. 
I haven't been in the direct mail game. I've been out of the direct mail game for a while now. What is going on in direct mail in 2022? How does it work? And how you how do you reach people? Like, how do you get someone's house? If everybody's working from home, how do you actually reach them? First of all, direct mail as a channel, I think that everything is cyclical, right? So we were so digital, 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 and everyone predicted the death of direct mail. But for every trend, there is a counter trend. And for every 10,000 people that want digital, there's going to be 100 people that want something that they can feel and touch. And those numbers start to change. And that's how trends develop. So direct You're mail. You're so right. You're so right, right, by the way. Like, yeah, events, <laughs> event, like events right. this year and next year are going to be on, on fire. You're, you're so right. The, the cyclical nature. I, most people try to say direct mail never died. But I, I think with the way you laid it out is, is so true. It's, it's very cyclical because we over rotate on one channel. Yeah. That channel gets super noisy and then we go do something else. Right. Exactly. So as a channel, those are my, my thoughts on direct mail. And how do we reach people? We're getting their address. The The challenging part for us is identifying sellers. So once we identify sellers, we can, you know, get addresses, but it's identifying who's selling on Amazon, who's selling on. Because there's no, there's no just like list of people somewhere, right? Like it could be me deciding to wake up and sell on Amazon one day. Yeah. Right. And uh, the difference between you selling on Amazon and you selling on Shopify is that Shopify, you'd have your own, you know, your store URL. Right. And I right. could find that and I could find information about you with that. But Amazon sellers don't have that. So Amazon sellers are a little bit more trickier to find. Right. What are you using for direct mail? If you can, if you don't mind telling people. We're doing it in-house. Uh, our director of marketing, she's been with the company since its inception. She was the first hire from our CEO. And I mean, she's, I can't sing her praises enough. She's just a whiz with things and she handles our direct mail. Um, I want to talk about team and hiring stuff. You mentioned that you're growing the team hiring. Yes, knock wood. <laughs> that is the plan. What's the state of the team or size of the team today? And like, what are you, what are you trying to hire for? So currently we have um, kind of a, a mixture of different roles and, and, and types. So we have basically, um, addition to myself, we have four FTEs and we have two people who are working with us on a kind of a contractor basis, but they're kind of like employees because they're just in the midst and in the fold of everything. And then we work with two um, external agencies for PR. And we have an agency we just brought on that's doing our SEO and HubSpot work. Now, the way we're currently organized is, first of all, we're a small company. So everyone wears more than one hat, right? So we're organized pretty functionally with a little crossover. So we have a a senior graphic designer, and he does all of our visual language work. And uh, my director of marketer, the, the director of marketing that I mentioned, she does our our direct mail and our data analytics. And she has a direct report who is our kind of uh, marketing analyst. And then we have a head of partnerships. So we're looking to bring on over the next year, five additional headcounts. And that's going to be someone that we can work with um, for events. We need to bring on a product marketing person. I want to bring on another director level of kind of inbound marketing and then bring on an SEO person and potentially a content person. So I want to get us a little bit more organized around functions yeah. so that there's a person that's looking at, okay, what inbound channels should we be doing? How can we optimize? How can we, you know, experiment there? And someone that's looking at data and it's just, they're all about the data. So I want to organize a bit more functionally. 
and you're also at this like challenging stage, which is like with four people, you can't just do fourth. Like everybody's job is kind of like a job and a half, you know, like you kind of have the product marketing person who's also doing partner marketing or the content person who also owns social and community and whatever for now, you kind of have to lump those things together. Right. Absolutely. We all wear more than one hat. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully you're hiring and maybe, Maybe you'll find a dream marketer out there from a place like DGMG Jobs or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, DM me. Um, yeah, come on, please. There's there's lots of good marketers that listen to this podcast. So if you want to work with Deidre, and what better like way to start to hear what your future boss must be like than I listen to your podcast before your interview? You got a team of four people. You got agencies. What does a manager Deidre look like? Like what time do you spend or how do you do one-on-ones with the team and whatever kind of team rhythms do you have? It's, I think it's pretty consistent. And then, you know, we're, we're still kind of working out something. So we have a weekly meeting with the entire team. And that meeting is to accomplish a, a few different things. We look at our OKRs. We look at our budget and where we're pacing. We look at the status of existing projects. We look at new projects and then we end up doing brainstorming. So that's kind of an an hour, an hour and a half every week. I also have one-on-ones with my direct report. So I have a a weekly one-on-one with my director of marketing, with my partnerships manager, my graphic, my senior graphic designer. Um, And I'm starting to have one-on-ones with our um, copywriter as well. And then we have more like project meetings, depending upon who's involved in the projects, there'll be project meetings. I'm really trying to, you know, from a productivity standpoint, I'm trying to eliminate Friday meetings because, you know, to your point earlier of where you get into the habit of you just kind of doing, doing, doing stuff and you feel like you're not making progress. You know, I realized that as a leader, I need time to think. And I owe that it's not just for myself because I'm a nerd. I'm an introvert, you know put me in front of a book or just tell me to go research something. And I'm, you know, I'm like a pig in heaven, just researching and reading all day. But so it's not just for that part because I enjoy it. It's because I owe my team to have a vision and to have a strategy and to be able to communicate that vision and strategy. And I can't do that if I'm just kind of running around from project to project all day. So that's why I'm trying to structure it again, not there yet, but i Cut off two meetings from my calendar this Friday. So I'm making yeah. progress. <laughs> yeah, I'm, that's so important. If you don't put that time on your calendar, then you're just like constantly reacting. Right. But you, you need time to be like, okay, I did. Re- I do need to be there for the team and I do need to be involved in things. But the team is not thinking about what you're going to be doing in July, but you need to be thinking about that. And so like, when are you going to make time to do that? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I think that's just, just a great, a great philosophy to like, it can be easy to just be in the weeds and just think like the doing, the doing, the doing, but like ultimately you, you have to remember you own, you own the marketing, you own the, like the marketing leader owns the marketing strategy. And so you need to be able to articulate the whole approach. Like, what are we doing and why this goes back to like you mentioning, like being the operator CMO, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. What would marketing manager, demand gen manager, Deidre, how is she different? from CMO Deidre and like, what would you, what kind of career changes have you made to move from marketing manager to CMO and how do you articulate the difference? Good question. I think that it's exactly what you said, you know, as a, as a marketing manager, I can be, I can be focused on 
a channel and I can be focused on, you know, like say paid media, but I'm not necessarily focused on why are we doing paid media? How does paid media fit within the other things that we're doing? And also I'm not really focused as a marketing manager on any kind of budget allocation decisions that I need to make, right? But as a CMO, I need to figure out the money that we're spending in paid media, for instance, is that the best use of those funds? Can I put those funds someplace else? Do I need to put more funds there? So it's really having that 10,000 foot holistic view. Or should I take those funds and use them for the other team? Maybe the other part of more, maybe this other team in marketing needs that, not, not this team, right? You see it at exactly. that level. Exactly. You have a pen. Anything on your list, on your note list that you want to talk about before I keep us going? Anything you want to go back to? I do want to talk about building a community at some point, though. Let's talk about it. Go ahead. This is a good place to do it. I think this is an important step for B2B marketers in general, right? We have gotten so far past the, you know, we're not doing 30 page white papers anymore. And, you know, Drift did those amazing, colorful books. I actually used one as inspiration for some content at my previous role. Um, So we know we've moved away from that. But we also need to move away from this idea of asking someone to tell me about your job is a good B2B lead acquisition method. I can't tell you how when I get an email, a cold email from someone and it says, oh, I'd love to put 30 minutes on the calendar to learn about your job or to learn about your pain points. And I'm like, what? WTF, right? Like, oh, good. Thank you. I've been dying to curse. Please. Oh, (laughs) let it fly. Now we have 20 minutes. You got to let it fly. What the the actual fuck? Thank you. So you want me to take 30 minutes out of my day to basically do your job for you. Yeah. Hell to crazy. the no. It's crazy. <laughs> or my favorite is like, hey, Dave, when do you have 30 minutes to tell me about your priorities? Thank you. I don't. How about never? I don't. Thank you. The fourth of never is when I have time for that conversation. But like, this is what the templated email is at many companies, right? And so like, if you don't try to make that better, then like, this is where also like having an understanding of like, what does the outreach look like? Right. And that's where I think the community comes in. It's like, you've got to build a community. Okay. So what does that, what does that mean? Like, we know that that type of shit doesn't work. You can't just, you know, spray and pray terrible emails, but there's a lot of buzz about community. What does that mean? How do you define it? Yes. And before that becomes the next buzzword, I think it is important to define it. Right. So the way that I'm looking at it, and we're starting to map this out, the way that I'm looking at it is that And this is just, this is marketing 101, right? Because by the time someone has come to you, you know, now you're going to be negotiating about price, right? Whereas if you are able to establish that relationship with them before they even think about needing you, when they do need you, you're going to be the first company that they think of because you've built that trust, you've established that connection, you've created that relationship. So now how do you do that, you know, in this digital world in a way that is authentic and that makes sense? So I think that's probably the challenge, right? Because everyone's creating content. you got AI tools out there now that's creating content. So it's not just about that. It's how do you form that connection? And I think that's what's really important. And that's really about knowing your audience and knowing what they want without asking them to spend 30 minutes telling you about their pain points. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, I mean, you the way you articulate it is so spot on because... I think the myth, the myth that a lot of people think is like, oh, we'll have a 
it will have a Slack group. And because it's hosted by the company, it's a community. And then what that Slack group just deteriorates to is once a week, the community manager at the company posts, Hey, we have this event. It just becomes another channel, just like posts like company crap content. It's like the same stuff that would post on LinkedIn. What really works with community is like, if you pretend that you don't even work for this company, right? like Deirdre and I, we're working on our own business and our business, we want to make a community for marketing, for B2B marketing people, right? If we just built that and we were not affiliated with a software company, it'd be way more successful than if we were because internally the tug of like, how are we going to measure that? How are we going to turn it into sales? But if we did it completely separately and didn't make it about a single product or company, that's the only way that this is actually going to work. Exactly. But you know what? That can be a tough sell internally to your CEO, to your CFO. That can be a tough sell because, you know, the the first question is usually, okay, well, what's the ROI on that? Right. And how are we going to make it? You mentioned drift, right? You mentioned the drift stuff. One of the reasons we were able able to do that because it was the the CEO was doing it, you know, like, so like he wanted to do that. And so it was like, great, there, there's no justification for it. We did seeking wisdom. We did, you know, we had these different ideas, like, it has to come from that. Yeah. You're not, when you're not fighting that battle, it's like, okay, we're going to get a hundred signups to our community. And then like the VP of sales is like, well, when can my team call those leads? Right. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like well, that's how, can't. how right. <laughs> that's not what this is for. Uh, do you believe in this? Are you, are you building a community? Is that a part of your strategy? I want to, yeah, we just started mapping it out. So yeah, I want to, you know, we have, listen, we've got a lot of goals, a lot of things that I want to accomplish this year. We definitely have to kind of prioritize. Um, but Overall, you know, like I said, my goal is to be everywhere our sellers are and to just build those connections and relationships with our target audience. I think like even beyond community, I think what you talked about is like in how people buy. To me, the goal is you can call community whatever. The goal is to become known for that thing that's meaningful. So like, you know, if if like at Drift, we were trying to do conversational marketing, like we are our whole marketing was about teaching you about this new way of doing marketing. So I think the more companies have like a unique point of view or their way of doing things as it relates to something broader like sales, marketing, finance, entrepreneurship, whatever, that's your best chance to like actually build build something off that. The more you make it like just about your product and make yeah. an extension of that, it doesn't it doesn't work. Exactly. It doesn't work. And I, you know, that was one of the things that I really kind of became attracted to a drift is I was at a conference in Boston one year and I guess this was you actually because you had your marketing people out there and they were like staging a demonstration with picket signs and it said treat people like people not leads and I was like oh my god you are fucking absolutely right (laughs) do you remember that (laughs) oh my god this is amazing I was just talking about this with somebody the other day because Yes, I we know I know exactly what event this yes. was. I know exactly what hotel it was at. Yep. And the event person that went down there, she I think she had called us and she was like, I just I just got arrested, or like it became we made made became some joke and totally like, Yeah, yeah, that's all that's so amazing. Yeah, some something like that. Treat people like people, not leads. But I think we yeah, gave something for people to rally rally around. Hub, HubSpot and what they did with inbound marketing, you think is like the all, you know, the all-time example of this, which is like their whole stuff was all about like, I'm gonna teach Dave how to be a better marketer. By the way, we happen to make software that you can use to do all these things, but like I'm gonna be smarter because of your stuff. And I think right. that that to me is the approach. And then you you nailed it earlier, like 
then our first conversation is not about price. It's like, I'm coming to you. Look, I'm, I'm still shopping. I'm still looking at two or three other vendors. However, I'm coming to you first because I feel like I know your business or I've been on your email list or I've been, I love your podcast or I've been on your newsletter or I went to your event or whatever. I'm going to you know let you throw your hat in the ring as right. to be part of that conversation. Exactly. Exactly. Are you seeing anything interesting with like, People like to hear about like tools and tech and don't feel pressure to answer this. You don't have to, it could be nothing. But if there's any kind of tool or tech that you're really interested in lately. We actually are getting up and running with HubSpot. So I'm excited to get that, that tool in place because, you know, we just really need one place to be able to see, have more visibility into the, the full customer journey. We've got like bits and pieces of it in different places. So I would say HubSpot is like the one thing I'm excited about right now whether it was HubSpot or not, but like, what's the blank snap your fingers problem that you want solved with switching this out? Is it attribution stuff? Yeah, it's customer journey and attribution. Yeah. Absolutely. Usually always the case is like, there's something that's not lining up correctly. Let's put it all on one platform and make this easy. Right, because, you know, we can take another hour about attribution. (laughs) No, not you and me. We can't. Uh, okay. On, <laughs> yeah. Right. I would know. You said you said you still like the creative ideas. We'll do an hour on those. I, I'd have to trade you an hour of that for an hour of the whatever that was. Um, <laughs> All right. We have to talk about. Yeah. Well, actually, no. We'd have to do two hours of creative talk. Okay. If you if you had one wish and could solve any one marketing problem, what would it be? For example, like I wish I could get emails for every podcast subscriber. I wish we could get attribution on everything. Blah blah blah. What would it be for you? I wish I could get first party data on every Amazon and Shopify seller in the United mm. States. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. That's a good one. That would, that would surely make your life. But I love asking people that question for that reason. Like that's a perfect example of like, it's not necessarily the most creative marketing strategy that's going to win. Like you, you need data, right? You need something to operate on. Absolutely. How do you tell your family what you do, what your job is? You know, it's funny because uh, when I first started, um, I was working at a in the membership department of a human rights organization. We were doing lots of direct mail. So I told my family, oh, we're doing direct mail. So my smart ass little sister says, oh, so you work in the mail room. <laughs> yes. I was like, no, smart ass. I'm not telling you anything else. <laughs> No, I send mail. <laughs> but it's funny because my, you know, in this day and age, I mean, my kids actually, my kids understand what I do. My younger son, as a matter of fact, I have two sons. One is 17 and my youngest is 11. About uh, two years ago, my 11 year old, and he was, you know, nine, he decides that he wants to do a YouTube channel. And he says, hey, mom, you're in marketing, right? I was like, yeah. He said, can you help me get more subscribers? <laughs> Smash that like button. That's amazing. Hey, mom, can you help me grow my YouTube right. channel? That's actually kind of cool. He's like, right. that's, hey, mom, can you help me with this white paper? No, that's awesome. My kids are five and three. And so they, I say, I got to go to work. And then I just sit in front of a computer and look. And they think, they're like, what does he mean? What is he going to work? He just, right. you're just looking at the computer, dad. Well, I don't understand that. Okay, that's great. But you didn't tell me what do you tell people that you do when you run into a friend, somebody you haven't seen in a while? 
how do you tell them that you are, you're a B2B SaaS marketing CMO in regular people words? I don't. I just say I, I lead a marketing team. <laughs> I love that. Me too. I, I, don't, I hate having that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I work in marketing. Great. Yeah. Okay. Last question before we go. Now that you've been on this podcast, other than I want to keep talking to you for longer, tell me one other CMO or marketing leader that I should have on. Drew Nesser. I, I think I mispronounced his last name. Renegade Marketing. Have oh, yeah. Seen? I know him. Yeah? Yes. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm in his CMO huddles group and I, I love it. So I awesome. Would, what, I is CMO, what is CMO huddles? I call it a, a CMO support group. <laughs> Therapy. <laughs> right. Therapy for CMOs. But I mean, it, it's a great group. I mean, it, it's sharing information. I think his motto is sharing, caring, and daring. So it really is like sharing information. Um, he's got these huddles, you know, that take place weekly. And you just go on and you get kind of a deep dive into different topics. And it's a Slack channel. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but, but that's, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that type of stuff is so valuable though, as a... To just get benchmarks and like, hey, oh yeah, th- these companies are also having trouble hiring. Yeah. Is an issue out of this other company. Yeah, yeah, that's why I call it a support group because you you feel like you're not alone. <laughs> this has been uh, awesome. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, before we wrap, where can people find you if they want to just send you a message and be like, I loved you on Dave's podcast. Awesome. I am on LinkedIn. It's uh, just Deidre Hudson. It's uh, D E I D R E Hudson, like the river in New York. That's the best place to find me. Uh, We'll link to you and everything so people can also connect and say hello. Thanks for joining me. This was a lot of fun and and, uh, hopefully I'll see you around soon. Thank you. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Exit 5 podcast. If you're in B2B marketing and you want to grow your career, you should also go and check out everything that we have over at Exit5.com. We've got articles, we've got videos, we've got templates. Plus, we have a community, a community of over 4,000 B2B marketing pros. Whether you're deep in your career and want to connect with your peers or just starting up and you want a place to go where you can see what people are talking about, get smarter about B2B marketing in your own time to grow your career and help grow your company, go and check it out. It's exit5.com. You can get on the email list there. You can join the community. There's 4,000 marketers in the community. We have a job board. We're always adding new stuff. It's really becoming the number one place you can go if you want to grow your career and learn more about B2B marketing outside of what you're doing inside of your company every day. So check it out, exit5.com. And I also want to make sure I give a shout out to my friends at Hatch. That's hatch.fm. They produce this podcast. It sounds amazing because of the work that they do. And they work with B2B companies just like yours. They offer unlimited podcast editing and strategy for businesses. You can get unlimited podcast editing and on-demand strategy for a low monthly cost. All you got to do is just upload your episode and they take care of the rest. Go and check them out. It's hatch.fm. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. There are three main factors that determine the success of your ABM programs. Number one, accurate target account lists with verified contact data. Number two, keeping your CRM data actionable with reliable enrichment. And number three, going beyond serving ads with automated outbound emails. Apollo offers an all-in-one solution for these needs. Easily discover target accounts with over 65 filters, including technographics, buyer intent, and job titles. Automatically validate and enrich contact data, streamline outreach, and boost campaign effectiveness with just a few clicks. They're ranked number one for contact and company data accuracy on G2. 
and with over 6,000 reviews and a 4.8 star rating, it makes sense why they're one of the most loved products out there right now. You can sign up for free with no credit card entry required. That's free for real free, no credit card even required at apollo.io slash exit five. That's A-P-O-L-L-O dot I-O slash exit five. 